0: We're going to go to the book of Romans, chapter 13. It says, in verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love one another. Who For whoever loves others will be fulfilling the law, the commandment, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because... Our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness or sexual immorality or debauchery or dissension or jealousy. Rather, close yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we have no way of knowing when the last days will be. But the Apostle Paul does have something to say about how we should live and how we, we should be living to face our last days, whatever and whenever they might be. As I worked on this message I wanted to be very clear about sharing something with you and all who have gathered here. We as Christians lost, we have lost the vision of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. When I first became a Christian, I used to get up every day and, and i not every day, but mo- many days, I'd say, okay, Perhaps this would be the day that Christ calls us all home. Well, it's been a while since I've woken up with those thoughts. Although some of these mornings lately, i woke up with these thoughts, how close are we getting, right? I I actually have found myself wishing that he comes back pretty soon. I'm getting tired of it all. I don't know about you, right? Now, we all believe that Christ is coming again, or at least we say we do. But are we waiting expecting? for the return of Jesus. I mean, are we really expecting him to be here? People are intrigued by the concept of the end of the world. How will the world end? Will the world end? Whether it be in a big bang or a whimper, will an asteroid end us? We actually just sent out a spacecraft to, to collect about a half a pound of asteroid material and we, so we could return it here so we could defend against the one that may hit us. I, you can look up how much we spent. Now, some of you are looking crazy. Allow me to get a sidebar. They just sent up a spaceship. took months to get up there. They got back a half a pound of rock from an asteroid and it just landed back out in Utah. Go check me out, it's absolutely true. And don't ask me how many tax dollars were spent doing this because you don't wanna know. Now, I gotta get back to the sermon. See, this spacecraft we sent to learn about the effects. Remember when we sent up a spacecraft and we had it hit the asteroid to learn if we could deflect an asteroid in a slight path? Remember, we they were all excited because they hit the asteroid? And it did move by just a fraction. It's recorded. They moved the asteroid by a little spacecraft hitting it, right? Now, we have taught in schools at different times. And we've taught how they've hit in the past and they're going to hit again. Every school child knows about asteroids. And all you have to do is look at our moon to see how many times our world has been protected by the moon taking the hits. That's one of the reasons God has it up there. It has a, an attraction to it. It protects our world. Although we have been hit. All, man can do all he wants. He can design a rocket to go up there and blow up an asteroid. He can do whatever he wants. And, and he might move one or two. But one is coming. The Bible tells us that we will be hit. Just a bit of trivia for you. right? Man can do all he wants to do. But sooner or later... One comes through. In the book of Revelation, in the eighth chapter, and verse 10, it says, The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers, on a third of the springs of water, and the name of the star was wormwood. The third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Okay, there's an asteroid coming. The Bible says it's going to hit, going to happen. It's in the end times, but, you know, man can do what he wants to do, but it's going to hit. Now, do I want to have them stop the ones they can Be my guest. Scientists, year after year, in these last 25 years or so, are worried about one's going to hit. And it could cause the end of the world. But they're not the only ones worried about the end of the world. In fact, one TV channel dedicated 10 whole hours of prime time to programs about the last days. Highlighting ancient prophecies and the location and the meaning of Armageddon and and possible ways why the earth might be destroyed. And the Bible tells us sitting here today just what will happen. And I watched it for a while, and then I switched channels. You know, that remote thing, never put it in my hand, right? Only to discover that the other, another channel was featuring programs about ultra Damas and the end of the world too. So they were both giving us end of the world stuff. Now, if you remember the beginning of this millennium, millennium, I said that wrong. That was the year 2001. There were, we were bombarded by articles and television programs preparing us for the chaos that was sure to come. Do you remember watching all those shows and they're telling you the world's going to end? We're at the year 2000, right, God? Well, didn't end then. It's God's timing, not man's. And we're still hearing all those kinds of warnings. And Jesus said, no man knows the day and the hour which God has chosen. So we have no way of knowing just when the last days will be. But as I read my Bible and look at the world around me, it seems like things are going on today in society and governments around the world. And even in some churches that indicate something's getting ready to happen. You can just feel it in the air. Now, we cannot continue the way we are going without something happening as a result. We just don't know when or what. My, my wish is that the nation would repent, but repenting is hard for the nation. The Apostle Paul goes on to say something about how we should be living as we face our last days, whatever that may be. Now, we can't control what the rest of the world does. But I can control my own life. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, the Apostle Paul mentions three things that Christians, we must be doing. The first one is to exhibit genuine love to those around us. Verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of love to one another. I will never be able to pay the debt of love that I owe to so many people. They taught me essential values in my life and modeled them for me in their own lives. Many have poured their lives into me. I owe them more than I'll ever be able to calculate. I owe a debt of love to my wife. We share something really special. We met in Grants Pass, Oregon. She stood behind me, moving all over this great country, moving whenever the company I worked for sent me somewhere. And once I only had a three-day notice to be in another entire different state. We got love. We fell in love, and we got married. We had a wonderful son. We went through some challenging times. We were in Rock Springs, Wyoming, during the oil boom, and and we lived in some challenging places. We also had great times together. We experienced so much. We become closer as we've grown older. That's really special. And I owe her a debt of love that I'll never be able to pay. She puts up with me. And I'm crazy. I owe you a debt of love. 24 years ago, you asked me to come and be your pastor. And I've tried to be faithful to serving God and you. And God has blessed our time together. Your love... And your concern for me is always evident. And I'll never be able to repay the debt of love I owe you. I just, it just continues to get bigger and bigger each time. And then in verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, do not covet, and whatever commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let me say that again. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand that love is the fulfillment of the law and what it means? I'm going to illustrate it in a very unique way. Let's say you have a five-year-old boy and you tell him the rules of the house. Doesn't he look really happy hearing about the rules? And you say, now in our family, we take baths almost every night and you will keep yourself neat and you will wash your face and brush your teeth and comb your hair. And you will not hit girls. Or fight with them. And you will always treat them with respect. Then the little boy would say, why? You know, I got to be nice to girls. Because those are the rules. And besides, they're the right thing to do. And if you don't keep the rules, you're going to get punished. And he obeys. Maybe he doesn't want to. But he obeys because you made it quite clear This is the law of your family. But then he matures. This five-year-old boy becomes a 15-year-old boy. Everything changes. You don't have to tell him to take a bath anymore or comb his hair. And you don't have to tell him not to hit girls or be nice to them. Because he's discovered girls for himself. And he's particularly attracted to one of them. Now, it is no longer the law that causes them to be nice to girls. Love has taken over that responsibility. Love thus fulfills the law. That's what Paul's talking about. Did I make sense of this? It's kind of a wonderful thing. You're a baby Christian, and you become a mature Christian, and you grow up, and law is filled in with love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and also love your neighbor as yourself. He said that all the commandments are summed up in these two. For if we really love God, and we really love each other the way we should, then keeping the law will come automatically, because love fulfills the law. Now the second thing that Paul Says that we must do as we live in these last days is to have a courageous commitment. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. And do this, understanding of the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He is saying, wake up. Don't be indifferent to what's going on around you. It's not time to sleep. It's time to be wide awake. Now, theologians tell us that there are over 1,800 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament. And that every one of the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ, there are... For every one of the prophecies concerning his first time, the first time he came, there's eight prophecies to his second coming in the Old Testament. We are also told by the same theologians that there are over 300 references about Christ's return in the New Testament. Or approximately one out of 30, every 30 verses. If you do the math. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Right before his crucifixion, he took Peter, James, and John with him into the inner part of the garden. I've walked that garden. It's an amazing garden. And he said to them, sit here and watch him pray. Jesus went a stone's throw away and fell down on his face and prayed. And the Bible says he prayed so intently that sweat became like drops of blood. And when he came back, you know the story... Peter, James, and John, they were asleep. They did this three times. And every time they were asleep. But Jesus was gracious to them and said, Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I wonder how many times Peter, James, and John repented of that night. How many times they got mad at themselves? How many times they must have looked back and said, if we had only known it was going to be our last night with them, we would have prayed and encouraged them. I personally, I personally wonder if the church is in the same position today as they were. We're at a crucial point in our history, and God is depending upon us. We're to share the light into the dark world. There are so many, but so many are sleeping or insensitive to the times which we are in. Paul also says the day of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I believe that is true for a couple reasons. First of all, we're getting older. No, 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 you're getting older, right? I'm getting older. And because we're getting older, the day of our salvation is nearer than it's ever been before. Psalms 90, verse 10 says, The length of our days is 70 or 80 years. And if we have the strength... Yet the span is but a trouble and a sorrow and will pass quickly away as we fly away. Then in verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days all right, that we might gain the heart of wisdom. Think about that. Numbering our days so we gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is saying that one of the wisest things that we can do is to number our days. Now, it's been a while since I was middle-aged. I really don't think of myself as not middle-aged, but I've been told that I'm not middle-aged anymore. In fact, I'm on the downhill slide. And it's going to get faster all the time. Any of you there too? But whatever age we are, the most sobering thought of all is that we have no guarantee that we're going to be alive tomorrow. Secondly, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is nearer now than it's ever been before. Paul writes in the first part of verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let me ask you a personal question. How much longer do you think God is going to put up with the violence in our world? How much longer do you think God's going to allow the corruption of marriage or the abortion or eating away of our foundations? How much longer do you think he's going to put up with drug addiction and pornography and profanity? When is God going to say, that's enough? On the dome of our nation's capital... Are these words. One God, one law, one element, one far-off divine event which all creation moves. Let me repeat that. One far-off divine event which all creation moves. Our forefathers inscribed these words in stone And we're moving closer to that event. Now, James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, he asked Christians these questions. Now, his are a lot tougher, but I'm just going to give you his questions. At what point are we going to quit retreating and sticking our heads in the sand and speak up? At what point will you rise to defend what you believe? Will you object, he asked, if... Imperfect children are killed in our hospitals. Will you object if involuntary youth DNA becomes the widespread in our homes in America as it's starting to in other places? Will you object if the state assumes ownership of your children and tells parents how to raise them under the penalty of losing custody? That's actually starting to happen. Will you object if if every teenager in America is given immoral advice and supplied with all sorts of condoms to do it? Will you object if the university refuses to grant degrees to outspoken Christians? Will you object if the obscenity laws are repealed and child pornography is ignored? Will you object if Christian businesses are required to satisfy, satisfy a hiring quota of ungodly employees? Or will you object if churches are told to do the same? Will you object if the government tells your preacher what he can say from the pulpit? Will you object if every tenet of your faith is legislated against and by Congress and controlled by the state? How long will we hide our heads in the sand and how long will we retreat? Will we awaken from the slumber? Now, that's a question. As Christians, we need to have a courageous commitment. In fact, we face all sorts of challenges in our world today. Yes, we do. Finally, the Apostle Paul tells us, sitting here today, that we must be morally pure. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 and 14, Let us put aside the deeds of darkness. And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, decency, decent I'm trying to say a word, I can't say it. Decently. Thank you very much. As in the daytime, not in orgies or in drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality or debauchery or in dissension or jealousy. Rather, close yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think of how to gratify sinful nature. The Bible is constantly contrasting light and darkness. Light represents holiness and purity. And darkness is represents sin and debauchery and immorality. Every time the world sees Christians do the same immoral things that the world does, the name of Jesus is dragged through the mud. And that's just a simple fact. That's why it's essential for us to prove we're not all like that. There are some of us who want to be pure and are willing to stand up for what's right. In these last days, we ask God to help us exhibit genuine love to those around us and be courageous in reaching out to the dying and lost world for Jesus in a book about Billy Graham. The book's called A Prophet with Honor. If you never read it, you should read it. It is obvious that Billy Graham could have become flamboyant, self-indulgent, greedy, and rich. He could have done all those things. And he could have all those things for himself. What the world says is important. But even though... There have been those who have tried to find something wrong with his behavior. They failed in their efforts. They looked at his financial records, they, his expense accounts, his income, and they carefully watched his personal life, and they couldn't find anything to condemn him on. Because throughout it all, he was always a man of moral purity. And he stood up for the things that really count. Now, I want to be like that. We all want to be like that. That's the important thing. Moral purity. We want to be like a lighthouse shining to the dark of the world. A place where people who are wounded and bruised, I want that's what I want this church to be, a place where people are wounded and bruised that they they can that are living in the world all week and come here and find. They can find acceptance and love and understanding and forgiveness. I want us to be courageous. A courageous fellowship that realizes the time is short. It's time for us to pull it all together and to do everything we can to communicate to a lost and dying world a wonderful message of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark, chapter 13, verse 26... Jesus told those at his feet back then, and us sitting today, everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send forth his angels to gather together his chosen ones from all over the world. From the farthest ends of the earth in heaven. There can be no mistaking what Jesus is talking about. He is saying that he would come there would come a time that he would return and mankind would see him coming. And in the final book of John Book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 it says, "Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will weep because of him. That's a yes and an amen. They'll know they're wrong. And then Luke records Christ's return in Acts chapter one, verses nine through eleven. Christ has descended into the ascended into the clouds, and the apostles were standing there, staring dumbfounded in the sky. Remember that? He's gone up to the clouds. Which actually would be a pretty appropriate response. You know, Christ has gone up and you just... And all of a sudden, two angels appeared and said to them, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring in the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into the heavens. And someday, just as you saw him come, he will return. Now the New Testament is full of references concerning the second coming both direct and indirect. As a matter of fact, out of the 27 books of the New Testament on the second coming of Jesus is mentioned in 23 of them. Now the four where the second coming is not mentioned is by 1st and 2nd John and their, their personal letters and the Galatians. They were personal letters addressing one thing. Every other book, the Second Coming's mentioned. The early church was convinced of the Second Coming that they actually greeted, they were so convinced they greeted each other with the word Maranatha. Which is actually two words put together, Maran and Atha, which when put together actually says our Lord comes. That's how they greeted each other. We go up with a handshake and a smile. They go up Maranatha. The facts are out there. The biblical pro- prophecies are unfolding before our eyes. Everyone with the modest knowledge of Scripture and a nearby newspaper, well, or iPhone, can tell that the world is on a collision course with biblical prophecy. That's one reason we do so much with the kids. That's why we need teachers for children. We lost generations of people. Generations have walked away. That's why we're also forgiving. People have gone through challenges in their life. No, none of you have ever had a challenge. But I got a wonderful note from a lady She's looking for a church. And because of where I got it from, I kind of looked her up. She had a terrible past life, but no worse than any of our past lives. She's, everyone's forgiven at the cross. Forgiveness is found at the foot of the cross. Because none of you have ever messed up in your life. But there are also rules. The Bible's very clear how we are to live. Not to be impure. Not to be part of the world. The hardest thing for a Christian to realize is we have to be in the world and not part of the world. We have to say there's right and wrong. Do you you understand right and wrong? Now, we have to close in prayer. There's some wonderful goodies out there because it's Communion Sunday. We invite you to have some goodies. And what's my favorite saying? There's no calories in church. And we all know that that is not true. Don't lie in church, right? I really wish it was true. Because you know how good you guys are at cooking? And we're going to go out and have a wonderful conversation. If you're new and a visitor, we invite you to come and eat something. Food is good. So let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne And we want to thank you for the gift of your Son. We want to thank you for strength to make it one more week in a world that is so dark. We can just feel it around us, Father. We can feel the trouble and tribulation. Thank you that you are our strength. And all God's people said, Amen.